Hi, I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange. This is Conversations with Kelly, where I take a deep dive with an expert on a topic I'm particularly interested in. And I am delighted to welcome my guests today. You probably know them well, John and Pete, the Nigerian brothers, who are professional traders and frequent guests on CNBC. But you may not have known that they were also professional football players. And in honor of the Super Bowl this weekend, I thought this would be the perfect chance to sit down with them and get the whole story. How did they go from football to options trading and then to TV stardom? And I might even pick their brain a little bit about Tom Brady's retirement and some of the NFL drama that we're seeing right now. So with that, guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. And I'll try to make it clear which of you is talking because you sound as similar <laughs> as you look. So. <laughs> so, John, I'll start with you. Give me the quick sketch of your family. Like, was it, how unlikely was it that to start with, you and Pete growing up both ended up making your way into the NFL? Um, I would say more likely than unlikely. Um, and the reason I'd say that, Kel, is our dad uh, played football at Cal, played in the Rose Bowl, played semi-pro football. Uh, from the time I can remember, um, he was always tossing a football around with us. And I would say, Kel, that uh, overall, it's always uh, an exception to make a professional league of any sort. And uh, I, I always, I mean, I transferred schools three times, Kel to try to keep that dream alive for me. Wow. Um, Pete was a much better ball player, but I played in junior college and then I transferred twice uh, before I finally finished up and got my shot at the pros. So yeah, I, I always hoped and had my focus on that dream, um, but it was still you know, a delight and surprising to actually get there. And Pete, remind me how far apart in age you guys were. So all of this, was it happening sort of simultaneously? Well, John's actually the oldest of four brothers. John's six years older than I am. And uh, we had two in between Dave and Paul, who also were football players, who also had opportunities in the NFL as well. So, wow, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a football family. But, you know, it was, it was whatever time of year it was, it was sports time for us. So we were track and skiing and basketball and football, uh, you name it. Uh, we, we were active in it and, and dad made sure that we were well-rounded as well. So we weren't just athletes all the time. We were actually people who went to plays and musicals and Shakespeare and you name it. So, uh, you know, we've got a pretty diverse background. There's no doubt about that, but we all did really, really excel and love football. And we all played the same position. We were all mm -hmm. linebackers in football and that it suited our size, our speed. Um, there does take a, a certain intelligence, I think, to to be a linebacker because you're essentially the quarterback of the defense. And so you, you've really got to understand uh, where everybody else needs to be at any time. And um, it's just, uh, it was, it was something that we really, really enjoyed. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to grow up and learn from guys, you know, three, three brothers that were all older than me. So it, it gave me, I think a huge competitive advantage, not only, you know, with my brothers, but with the players that I was playing with that didn't have, that kind of, uh, you know, sort of a background. And it, it, I, I really do credit that with, with whatever success I had along the way. So it, up to this point, Pete, when you guys kind of were getting into the NFL, was there anything that suggested to you you were going to end up as traders? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I was, uh, you, you know, John, John was actually an art major and, uh, but had an incredible you know, math mind as well. Um, I was a guy who was pre-med. I was absolutely d 
determined that I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon someday. Um, I loved what my dad did as a, as a transplant surgeon, but it was a lot more of a life and death situation. And I, and I loved being around sports still. So orthopedics just made a, made a lot of sense to me, but um, you know, my, my journey lasted a little longer than I, I probably uh, expected it to as far as football goes. So I kind of got into the financial world just um, just because John had j made that jump and, and I didn't know for sure if it would be where I would park myself for good, but at least it gave me a chance while I was considering if I still wanted to go to medical school. So John, how did you get into it? My agent actually had a couple former pro athletes, uh, hockey players and so forth, baseball players on uh, the roster of his traders uh, down on the trading floor of the Chicago Board Option Exchange. So he said, I'll make you a deal because I didn't want to go and play in Canada. Um, he said, uh, if you come down here and clerk for me, I'll give you a shot at trading and I won't pay you anything, but I will let you live in the apartment that I keep down there for free. Um, so that deal lasted for about nine months, Kel. And then um, at that point, I thought I knew enough to go off and uh, find a real job on the floor and traded as a spread trader upstairs for about a year and then went down into the pits. And that was the best ever because the pits are exciting. Um, the diverse background of people, you know, some are cops. Some were uh, people that ran McDonald's franchises. Some wow. were, you know, former pro athletes. There were a lot of former bears on the board of trade right across the street from us. I think I was the only guy from the NFL. No, there was one other guy. There was a guy uh, that was a backup quarterback for the Cowboys, Belden, um, uh, Dick Belden's brother, Pete. Um, mm -hmm. He was a, a quarterback, a backup quarterback, had a Super Bowl ring even. Uh, but yeah, I think it was the discipline um, that, that kept us on the floor, Kelly, because uh, one of the things that everybody talks about is a monkey could flip a coin and, you know, get lucky on stock picks, but it's knowing when to cut losses, knowing when to take profits, keeping that discipline, because it's so easy, even before Bitcoin, to get FOMO, fear of missing out, or to be a pig uh, and hold on too long. You got to Take those profits when you can. Otherwise, you're going to be selling when you have to. It's so hard to do. I don't envy <laughs> all the traders in our audience, you know, who have been looking at what happened to Facebook today and, and all the rest of it. And John, am I right that you built up a pretty good sized business? Oh, yeah. Luckily, um, Pete headed up the, the risk and the trading side uh, after he got into it and did a great job. We ended up selling that company in 2004 to uh, Citadel, Ken Griffith's company, you know, at that time, the largest hedge fund in the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Pete and I began building out um, intellectual property like the heat seeker that we talk about on television all the time. And uh, uh, basically launched a brokerage firm called Trade Monster. We took in General Atlantic as a partner um, and uh, we ended up selling that company in 2016 for $750 million. Wow. So that's why you're always somewhere with palm trees behind you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's certainly one of, the, one of the reasons. That and the fact that we both just uh, kind of uh, 
don't want to live someplace where it's cold half the year. <laughs> yes. So Pete, what was it like in those early days? So you wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, but you ended up kind of following John into what he was doing. And then at some point must have realized like, Hey, I, I kind of have an acumen for this. Yeah. You know, Kelly, it's, it is interesting. And John talks about the, the competitiveness and the, the, the discipline that it takes. And, you know, it's, it's very much like sports and like a lot of different careers, but specifically sports where we were coming from with football. And, you know, I literally went down there, Kel, with the idea of, you know, I'll check this out. I'm not really sure it's for, it's for me, but um, you know, I will, I'll be able to go to med school next year because the, the year that I had finished playing football, I had just missed the starting time for, for medical school. So I figured, well, I'll give this a little bit of a shot. It gives me about eight or nine months to figure it out. And um, once I was down there, I'll tell you, Kelly, it, it takes a few months just to even figure out what in the world is going on on those trading floors, to be honest with you. Yeah, and the language, yeah. Oh, the language and, and, and everything that goes into it. And you're hearing all these things all day long. And it, it's, it's far different than, than being upstairs like these days and, and trading from a computer. Uh, you're standing on the floor. You can be embarrassed very quickly if you're wrong about things very fast. And, and people will let you know it because it's a very competitive envir environment. And, and the deal is, when you're down there, uh, people think that we're all friends and it's a big friendly, you know, deal down there. It's not. Everybody that you see is in competition with everybody else. And so wow. it really is something where, um, you know, there are there are people who eventually do become your friends. But, you know, the reality is that you're you are competing. And so if you're competing, you can be friendly, but at the same time, it's a business. And so you have to treat it as such. So it, it was a really interesting transition. And um, I really didn't know that I'd be there as long as I have been. But uh, that was 1992. And here we are in 2022. So it gives you a little idea that I, I ended up liking it and um, enjoying it. And, it, and I've, I felt like I really started, it started to click. And once that happened, I felt far more comfortable in terms of do I really want to do this? And the answer was yes. So are those days totally gone now with both the pandemic and the way that all these different trading floors have closed? You know, I think about, okay, if I'm in my husband, you know, who's interviewed a lot of these guys who were in the Super Bowl the last couple of years, and there were people who want to be surgeons or get into the financial world or, you know, this and that. And it's like, the, do the pits for all intents and purposes even really exist anymore the way that they once did? Yeah. The easy answer is no, <laughs> they really don't. Uh, you know, there are computers that sit in the pits. There are still traders. You can see them on the New York stock exchange and there are still some traders standing on the trading floors, but it's nothing like it was. It was, it was um, the greatest experience when it was, you know, the, the middle nineties going into the early two thousands, all the concerns with Y2K and what might happen with all of that. And, you know, there was just so many different elements that, that were going into being on the trading floors and the excitement, the energy, all of that, that, that goes into it, the competitiveness, but it's not the same now. It is not even close to the same. And, you know, in some ways that's a good thing because, because of technology, people have far better access than they ever did in the past to be able to get live trades because True. there was, there was a, 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 you know, a lag time between calling a broker, broker having to go out to the trading pit, execute the order or not, and then coming back and then giving the answer on whether or not it was executed, what price, all those kinds of things. Um, now it's just the click of a mouse and you've got it done. And John, you guys are most associated with unusual activity, which is a segment, you know, on halftime report or, or throughout the day where you highlight where you're seeing these unusual spikes in options activity. 
And you referenced that some of the intellectual property you developed, you know, back in the early 2000s was around this kind of heat seeking missile. So how did you kind of stumble upon this and then turn it into something that became sort of proprietary and known and associated with the two of you? Um, it was actually through a very large loss. <laughs> um, the very large loss occurred on my birthday, Kelly, years ago. And one of our traders with about half an hour to trade began selling a whole bunch of puts because a firm that you know, but I won't name, um, came in and started bidding up puts, meaning they want to buy insurance against this stock. And that should have set off some alarms, but it didn't. He kept moving up the price, our, our trader did. And the other person kept saying, I'll buy them. How much are they now? $2, I'll buy them. How much are they now? $2.50, I'll buy them. And he just kept buying them. The earnings came out after the bell, the earnings were good, but then they announced they were cutting back on one of their major um, products. And of course, the stock fell like Facebook's falling today. It fell by about yep. 20, 30%. And just imagine that somebody had tomorrow's newspaper today. That, that kind of, we call it smart money. Um, some people might say insider trading. Uh, but that kind of uh, thing happens every day. Um, somebody, it's not always insider trading, but somebody has better information than you do because they're spending a million dollars a month on data and on execution and stock loan and all the rest. So to keep that big customer happy, the brokerage firms feed them Intel um, at, a, at a pace that the rest of us don't get. So what Pete and I built was we said, okay, let's look for um, these blocks of unusual accumulations of puts, which would mean that they're betting on a drop again, like Facebook or big accumulations of calls, which might mean that they're gonna to beat to the upside or that there's gonna be mergers and acquisitions or something that drives that stock higher over the next several days. So of course calls, a bet to the upside, puts a bet to the downside. Once we basically built that infrastructure, Kel, we get, um, our computers are scanning 7 million quotes a second per second. Wow. Yeah, this is not per minute or anything, folks. That's per second. And there are hundreds of thousands of hits on those quotes. In other words, a quote is the difference between the bid and the offer and where did something trade. Um, when, when those things are moving fast, you cannot see it. The human eye can't see anything faster than 24 frames a second, which is you know basically what movies used to be. And now they're digital, of course. Um, but that's 30 frames a second. So you can imagine that millions of frames a second, you can't see it. So you have to have a computer and then our computers can tell us, did, was that bought or was that sold, which is really important. And then we, of course, follow along. We're coattailing on that unusual activity. We're not creating that unusual activity. We're following it. And over time, we found that this is incredibly both lucrative and very telling about market direction. Yeah, and Pete, what would you add to that? Because again, we know in markets, anytime someone discovers something like this, doesn't everybody else try to do it the same thing? 
They, they can try. Um, you know, I think one of the advantages that John and I have had over the years has been, and, it, and, it, and it's something that we talk about all the time, is the experience being on the trading floors, Kelly, I think really gave us um, a, a, a great advantage from the standpoint of knowing exactly what it is that, that really does trigger. And that, that's all of what the, the information that John and I put together when we've sat down and we, we created what we've created was we looked at every single element of trades and, and, you know, not everybody does that. They see volumes. That's not what we're interested in. We're, we're, we're looking at a lot of the different elements that go into what makes it a, a trade that we would want to follow. Now, it doesn't mean that these always work, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and John and I are the first to ever tell you that there, we, we, we see a lot of unusual option activity and not, not all of them work, but I think that overall the, the majority do signal something whether it's positive or negative for a stock's move coming in the next days and weeks or months, um, or maybe even years, because quite honestly, a lot of people who don't know this, I'll, I'll just tell you, you have options that go out and they call them leaps that go out to 2023 and beyond. So uh, it's just a matter of what, what are they really looking for? And, and I think because John and I sat separately when we put this whole thing together, we literally sat separately and then then sat together and just went over you know time and time again. What is it that you see, John? What is it you see, Pete? Back and forth and and just tried to put everything into it to be able to build the algorithms that we have built. So there's a, definitely an element of human judgment that kind of helps you guys know which ones are kind of real signals and and which ones aren't. It's it's so interesting and. I don't know, John, if you just want to offer a comment too. I mean, options trading has totally exploded, especially over the past year with retail investors. <laughs> and it does that change the nature of the game at all? Um, it does. Um, it, it changes the nature of the game because there are so many more players. You see it, Kelly, uh, in, in uh, for instance, in uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, I think it's a great example because so many young kids no young people who have uh, made small fortunes, in some cases, large fortunes trading cryptocurrencies. But if you're somebody working at a regular job and you've got a spare few hundred or maybe a few thousand dollars every month or so, um, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, um, that's not enough to get them rich. So what they do is they leverage that money. And that's what you see on the Reddit boards. That's what you see on Twitter. Um, and we track both of those as well, by the way, sentiment indexes for both Twitter and Reddit. And now we're about to start for YouTube videos, but we can get into hmm. that on the next podcast. But um, <laughs> basically, um, those people that want to build wealth know that they really need to uh, uh, use leverage unless they are given uh, an inheritance or some large stack of money to start with. So a lot of them rely on leverage. So options do provide that leverage. Pete and I always caution people about, you know, that that's like fire. You can cook with a fire or it can burn you. So you have to understand the amount of leverage that you're using and how you can best control the risk inherent in something that expires in two weeks, in two months or whatever, because stocks and most cryptos are pretty much per, uh, perpetual but options have a very limited lifespan and you need to be very disciplined, not only about the leverage you take, but about cutting losses and taking profits. Pete, do you think the public can generally make money with options 
you know, kind of just teaching themselves? Or do you think they have to, you know, subscribe to a professional service like yours or, or like something in mm-hmm. order to have assistance doing it? Yeah. Well, that, it's a great question. I think it, it always probably has to depend upon the person themselves and, and what kind of knowledge they have of the markets, of a lot of the math that goes into, uh, especially with the options world, because all the Greeks, as we call them, all the different uh, elements that go into pricing options, they can be complicated. And, and so I, I always encourage people that they need to have the knowledge, whether or not they're getting it help professionally, or if they're just researching it. And researching it is a great way. I mean, John and I have written books, of course, and and, and trying to help people out so that they have at least a background of, okay, this does make sense on the pricing model of how options really work. And there's time and there's volatility and all the things that go into the pricing of options. It can be very complicated. And I, and I think it, I would always encourage people to do incredible amounts of research before they even ever put their foot in the water. It's okay to quote unquote uh, paper trade, but I think that uh, you know paper trading is very helpful early on, and and then you have to you have to be very real with yourself though when you paper trade and 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 think about it as real money, because sometimes it's a little bit easier when you don't have that full risk on where you've got money into a trade and how you might react. And I think that's you know there are so many different elements that go into this whole thing. Um, I think it's it can be difficult to do it on your own, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And some people I think can, can figure that out really, really well. Um, others I think do need to be educated for sure and go through the whole process because it is complicated. But uh, you know, we, we always encourage people to do what they can to educate themselves because let's be honest, it's, it, it can be difficult and it is a short time frame or whatever the time frame it is, options are that, that's what really separates them obviously from stocks is, there is a deadline. There is a time frame where it no longer exists. And with stocks, unless they go to complete zero, that's not the case. So um, they really just have to have that understanding of how pricing really works. And, and obviously, as John and I always talk about, and the discipline that it takes when things are good or bad, uh, you've got to have a discipline. So John, how did you guys end up being TV stars? And were you good at it right away? Or did it take a lot of reps? Um, well, you're, you're too kind, and uh, obviously, you have the chops of being a journalist and a great one. You know, we, Pete and I always enjoy you, Kelly. Um, oh, I miss you guys. But, oh, I miss you. Uh, it, uh, for those who are listening, you know, CNBC, they let a very limited number of people into the studio these days because of uh, various COVID restrictions and protections for the workers of all sorts, you know, back in the studio as well as, you know, control room and so forth. So I haven't seen Kelly face to face in two years. Um, But I see her every day on my my CNBC uh, and I I love the work that you do. How did it happen? Um, Pete and I, uh, I started on Fox, uh, literally Fox just called me up one day and said, John, would you come in and read for us about uh, trading. And I said, okay, didn't know what that mean, Kel, meant, Kel. Uh, but I came into the office in Chicago, read for a guy named Bob Surratt and Marianne Marciano. And they said, yeah, we think this will work. Let's do this. So they put me on TV there. I think I had two or three contracts with them. Maybe that was over six years or something. And uh, during that time, Pete and I were talking a lot with CNBC and Dylan Radigan 
and some of the people that were creating shows yep. on CNBC. And they asked us to come out to New York, but they said, you're not going to be able to trade anymore. So I said, not interested then. You'd have to pay me a lot of money not to trade. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Pete ended up, after they kept calling and kept calling, Pete ended up taking them up on it. But I think I've been uh, on TV, Kelly, for maybe 26 years. Pete, probably 20 or something like that, Pete. And uh, Pete's also got radio shows that he does and podcasts and all the rest. So uh, um, we were just lucky, you know, that people asked and that we felt comfortable. And I think you feel the same way because I've seen you um, very uh, um, casually just walk onto the set and start talking <laughs> with us on air. And uh, you know, some people are lucky that way, whether you want to say they're a natural or whatever, you truly are. That is very kind, but this is about you. So Pete, tell me more. I mean, um, in what, what have been some of the sort of surprises maybe transitioning um, into the media space? And, and what do you think is kind of, you know, the exciting stuff on the horizon now? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a really great ride. I think what's helped us, uh, and, and particularly my, my, I had a little bit longer career than John as far as football, but within that career in football, um, you get so many interviews, Kelly, over time that uh, you get a little bit more experience, I think, in front of the camera and, and in front of, you know, radio and everything else over the years um, that really helped out a lot. And, and hmm. you know, it, it works. And the interesting thing is people ask me all the time, you know, when you're on CNBC, they say, hey, um, so are you reading a prompter? And I'm like, absolutely not. No, <laughs> it's, it's not what we do. But, um, you know, and, and, and I know how difficult that is. But I think the reality is that, you know, we're, we're, we know what we're talking about in terms of, you know, the defining things that we are going to be discussing and so forth. And so we, I think it just was a very comfortable transition onto the TV because of all the background in football. And then over the years, I've worked for about five or six years with ESPN doing college football games. And hmm. as John was alluding to, I, I recently, I had to stop that because it was just too many days a week. And in, in the fall, I just wasn't home enough. And I didn't, uh, and, and my wife and I discussed that. So I, I stopped doing the ESPN game. <laughs> but um, I am doing a Sunday broadcast every every day or every week. And, um, and I do daily as well, a lot with Football and finance is what they like to always, you know, bring in together, and it's and it's fun because there are so many correlations in both, and it's it's great to be able to cross over and, and bring that in. And I think people would probably be surprised, but uh, but they shouldn't be. If you if you talk to a lot of these professional athletes, it's amazing how many of them are so interested in the financial world and in the markets and want Absolutely. to be involved. You know, Shaquille O'Neal being probably the most successful I've ever met in my life, and he's become a friend and just a great guy. And he, he is so smart, Kelly, on how he has maneuvered himself as, as not just a, a basketball player and now a commentator, but how he actually structures his contracts with companies is absolutely unbelievable. And it's obviously financially, it's worked out pretty well for him because he's yeah. really done an excellent job. And, you know, I think that transition, it's certainly helpful from sports. There's no doubt. A couple final questions for you guys. John, one is now that sports betting is basically legal and mainstream, is there an opportunity with this nascent market um, that once existed with the financial markets? And I don't know exactly what that would mean, but are there some equivalent to the Nigerians who are going to 
kind of be be running algos like yours, but to do sports betting? Um, we've been approached by a number of people that uh, purport to have things like that, Kelly. Um, and in fact, Pete and I used to do a show on CNBC with Dom Chu um, about um, lines on football games and so forth. Um, we were ahead of our time, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure that given the uh, uh, alternative data that's out there, and Pete and I are investors in a company called Battlefin, that uh, basically is the largest uh, um, middleman of alternative data. They've got everybody uh, within that company, including AWS, Jefferies, Refinitiv, all these different players, but there are literally thousands and literally hundreds of those thousands of folks, uh, companies do have data that uh, allegedly helps uh, shape your odds as far as placing a bet. You know, the balls are oblong in football's case. And as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, they bounce funny sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's, it's not dissimilar from stocks, um, but probably uh, not the, quite the same in terms of just following big bets because every once in a while you'll get a Floyd Mayweather or somebody big 50 cent that just wants to drop a big bet. And that's probably not quite the same as when Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, 0.72 decides to buy a whole bunch of options. Uh, but I, I think there are some things and hopefully at some point we'll be involved in that segment as well. Very interesting. So I wanted to kind of ask you both about Tom Brady, um, but I also, I, I'm going to ask the more controversial question, Pete, in the remaining few minutes that we have, which is, if these allegations prove true about owners playing coaches to tank in the NFL, mm -hmm. what, what, would, what would your thoughts be, you know, about the implications of that? Yeah, complete disappointment. I, I, I still would be shocked if that were the case. Um, but obviously, this will play out right in front of us, which it's already started to. It, the ball is already starting to roll. Um, but it, it, it is incredibly disappointing that, that, uh, that they would ever make that kind of approach. And, you know, that it's, it's just, uh, you know, we love the game. And as players, I think that uh, how disappointed would we be that this was not just coming from the coach, but it's coming from all the way at the very top and then right. comes down. And, and it's, uh, it's just such an uncomfortable thing for me. Uh, you know, there's no way in the world I don't think that you could convince any of the players to be a part of this ever. And, and it's just an amazing thing as we're seeing this play out right in front of us. And it's, it's frustrating but um, the NFL, they, they will dig deep and they will find out. And I know they're going to go through emails and texts and everything. There are really, yeah. um, you know, it's going to be a, a long process for sure. But it, I'm sure they will get to the bottom of this. You know, the, the NFL still continues to be the league. Uh, there's, there's great sports leagues. There's no doubt about it. The NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. But the NFL still is king. And this would certainly be something that would uh, be not very favorable at all for the NFL if any of this were to be true. And I think right. there would be the fans, I think, would be so disheartened by this whole thing. So it's, you know, this this is a big thing, big story, and it's going to play out in front of us. And we just started, but it's going to be interesting.
And John, sort of on a, on a final note here, did you guys ever worry? And I know, you know, it's not like you were in the NFL for 10 years, but there is so much danger. And especially in the era when you were playing, do you ever worry back then or, or now about the lasting, you know, brain implications or, or, or what are your thoughts? Do you think the sport is generally, should I allow my kids to play? Um, I think if, if I had a son, I have two daughters. If I had a son, I would let him play. Um, I, I think the equipment is so much better. The coaching techniques are better. Um, you know, there's not nearly the hamburger drills that they were. But I'm going to let Pete answer that because Pete actually goes back and forth to California all the time for various tests uh, wow. to, to test for CTE and other things. So, Pete, maybe you could answer that better than I can. Yeah, Kelly, that's the one thing I'm very proud of with the with with the NFL is that the NFL finally and it took them a long time. I wasn't very happy with them for a long period of time, but in the last decade they have finally really embraced the 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 players and and trying to do the best job they can to make sure that the players are healthy. And I'll tell you, the amount of tests that I've gone through over the last couple of years for CTE and the scans and they're trying to monitor and make sure um, you know, how, how is your brain functioning, but it's not just there. It doesn't stop there. It's also physical. And I, I really, in the last year or so have been back and forth, as John mentions to, um, to California, just, uh, an amazing number of flights and trips where I'm literally for, uh, 12 hours a day, having every part of my body looked at to see how it's doing. And, wow. and just, uh, you know, just because there are so many, you know, and, and I'm just a guy who was a backup linebacker running down on kickoffs and doing, you know, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and yet, um, you know, I, I do appreciate that they, um, that they have reached out that the way they have, and it's really important because, you have no idea. I'm a 58-year-old guy whose knees are probably more equivalent of a 78-year-old man. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, and, and you don't see that from the outside, but I, I can tell you that's how they feel sometimes. And that's, uh, you know, and I played in that era as John did where the fields were different and the equipment was different. All of that has improved immensely. So I think the future for the NFL, I think, looks brighter for me from that perspective. The bodies won't get as beat up as they did and the heads because, the equipment is better and the fields are, are better. So I think that combination of, of, uh, of things makes the NFL, um, you know, it, they're, they're doing the right thing for players like me and others. But uh, I think they've also made a lot of changes along the way that are going to be very, very helpful for the players of the future. All right. Well, I think my middle, my, my younger son, I think he's going to be a bruiser. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe we'll let him play. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, I want to buy options on anybody that you guys and any of the sons that you guys have put together <laughs> uh, because you're, you're both very athletic people and very smart. So uh -huh. whether they make it in athletics or academics, I'm sure they'll do both very well. That is very kind. Yeah, he's only two, but sometimes you just know. Um, <laughs> guys, thank you so much. Again, you know, the underlying theme here is really about the kind of, you know, the characters that it requires to be excellent across so many different, you know, sports and trading, especially and media and, you know, to watch you just doing it and everything that you've accomplished. Um, I think sort of that, that the explanation of what it took to do all of that and what it takes every day, I think will really, really resonate with people and really inspire people as well. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you both. Thank you, Kelly.
All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And be sure to follow the Exchange podcast and catch our show live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern only on CNBC. See you then. Thanks.